Good morning, church. It is always such an honor to be here and to be able to, to talk about God's Word. Before we jump in, though, I want to just introduce myself. So my name is Gria, and one key thing about me is that I'm a father, right? I'm, I'm a parent of five children, the husband to one incredible wife. And, uh, and you know, there are, some, there are some things that change your life forever. For me, being a father absolutely changed my life forever. And, uh, and I want to I talk first about the day when my first daughter was first, first was born. So, so the day when I actually became a father, um, the starting point of then having you know, five children over time. So people will tell you, hey, like your life changes when you become a parent and uh, you know, things are going to be different, but you don't really know. You don't really get it until you actually become a father or a mother. And so, so, so here's the, the story of, of that day. So Jamie, uh, my wife, she was in labor for, for a long time. How long? I don't remember. It was, you know, this was almost 16 years ago now, so it's been a while. Um, and, you know, and things just weren't sort of going, you know, the, the way they, they should, or, uh, or rather, uh, towards the end, it turns out that, um, that we, we, had to make a, we had to make a choice. Uh, the doctor came to us and he said, Hey, look, you, you have an option right now. Like, you either have a C-section, a cesarean, uh, a surgery, uh, or the other option is we can sort of, uh, sort of proceed naturally, if you will, but we risk damaging the baby's head. Uh, Jamie's going to be hurt as well. There might even be brain damage. So you pick. You know, and, and Jamie and I, like, you know, we're fairly young. Like, man, doc, like, like Feels like we should go for the C-section, right? It's like, yeah, okay, let's do that. <laughs> so, so, uh, so we did that. You know, they, you know, they sort of rushed Jamie, if you will, um, into, and, and I was with her. Uh, Jamie's mom was there too, right? So I was, uh, we, were, we were all going into this uh, to the surgery room. Jamie got, got hooked up to the various apparatus that, that it takes. Um, and, you know, doctors got to work. And almost as if by surprise, uh, I don't know what happened, but almost as by surprise, they took Lauren out. Like they took her out of, out of, out of Jamie. Nurses weren't ready. Uh, Lauren was, uh, so Lauren, my daughter, she was purple. She wasn't breathing. Um, and uh, and they, they, they took Lauren, they moved her to a table nearby as the nurses are um, sort of desperately trying to plug in the right um, sort of suction wires and things to, you know, to, to get Lauren to be breathing. And so, so Jamie and I are, are there. We're looking, we're watching. Um, uh, you know, Lauren's purple. We're like, oh my goodness. Uh, the, 40, the next 40 seconds felt like an eternity. Um, but things, things worked out. Uh, uh, things were taken care of as, uh, as they would in, in those early stages. Lauren starts breathing. Purple turns to pink to regular skin color over the next, you know, over the next five minutes or so. Uh, she was good to go. You know, we're crying. Uh, like in an instant, in an instant, our lives are changed forever. Instant love, instant parenthood, and redefinition of who you are. Impossible to explain if you haven't actually experienced that. But, but that, 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 that's my attempt. Now, now get this. You know, if someone was to come to me now and say, Hey, Gria, I have an important question for you. Okay? Get this though. Your life depends on it. Okay, so if you lie, right, if you don't give me the right answer, you will absolutely die. Like, okay, like you have my attention. Uh, what, what's that question? So the question is, Gria, are you a father? Like, 
yeah, like, yeah, my life depends on it. I'm going to answer truthfully. Absolutely, I'm a father, right? I was, uh, I was in the room when birth was given. I saw it happen. Uh, I, like, I'm with my children, you know, almost every day. Like, it's a part of my life. Like, absolutely, I'm a father. Like, there's no confusion in my mind about that. And if my life depended on it, absolutely, the answer is yes. Now, I want you to keep that in mind because I think it's going to help us as, as we go through today. Today's passage is very much like that, only even more momentous. It's altered not only the lives of a few people, but of a whole world. And on this event hinge the answers to life's biggest questions. It is the cornerstone of the Christian faith and has impacted billions of people over the last 2,000 years. Yeah, so today we're going to be reading the resurrection account of Jesus Christ. Uh, Really excited about it. And we're going to be diving into uh, the event itself. Okay, so we'll spend some time there. We're going to look at the evidence for it. Um, And this will take up a a lot of our time this morning, but I will absolutely touch on the importance of it and the implications to our lives. This is so big, I'm not going to have time to cover everything that can be said, but I really want to encourage you uh, to use today as a starting point, to keep digging, because digging here impacts your life, your children, your eternity. There's no fact more important. And your answer here, what you come up with here, is more life-changing than it was for me to see Lauren be born and hold her for the first time in my arms. All right, so we're going to start, we're going we're gonna to jump right in with, uh, with the event. But before we do that, I'm going to pray. Uh, I know they've already prayed, but I, I just don't think you can have enough prayer when it comes to this. Um, Father, thank you so much, Lord, that you have given us um, your Holy Spirit. You have given us uh, the ability to, to read your word and the ability to, um, to follow you and to look for you. Lord, I pray this morning, um, give us... Um, eyes and hearts and ears, Lord, to hear, um, and that we would, uh, we would know what you, what you have to say to us, Lord. Thank you so much. Preach through me, Lord, and, uh, and may you be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're going to jump into the, the actual event, and, uh, and our passage today is Luke 24, uh, verses 1 through 12. Open your Bible. We're going to be here for a little while, uh, whether that, the Bible is a real paper Bible or a Bible app or um, Whatever it might be, uh, be open to it. Uh, I'll be reading from the English Standard Version, um, just, just so you know the translation I'm using. So it goes like this, Luke 24, verses 1 through 12. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their face to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. 
Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale. As they did, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloth by themselves. And he went home marveling at what had happened. Incredible. I'm going to touch on some of the verses in this narrative just to get a bit of a deeper understanding. So have your Bible open so, so, you, can, so you can follow along. First of all, verse 2. They found the stone rolled away. Okay, the stone itself, they were walking fully expecting the stone to be there. It wasn't there. Okay, rolled away. Uh, Mark 16, verses 3 to 4, has a slightly different perspective. Uh, and they were saying to one another, these are the, the women walking, they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Right? So they knew it was covered. Who's going to roll? Um, who's going to roll this thing away? Likely it was very heavy. Um, and looking up, they saw the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. Okay? Really important piece, right? They, they walked there. Stone completely moved out the way. All right, next. Luke 24, verses 4 to 5. Uh, love this. Uh, well, I love all of it, but, but love this. So, so two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. Uh, so, by the way, it's really, it's really hard to find pictures online of angels, right? So please just know that that is an artist's rendering of, of angels that you see on your screen. Uh, so, all right, so, so two, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? Okay, now, in, in this verse, it just says two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. But in, you know, in, a, in a parallel passage in, in Matthew 28, uh, this is clearly an angel. It has like an appearance like lightning, um, and his clothing was white as snow. Now, one account has one angel, another account has two angels. Uh, and I'm going to talk about those discrepancies later. But for now, I want you to just keep in mind uh, that like in moments of uh, terror and astonishment, your perception or memory might not be uh, quite there on, on the finer details, right? So who knows? Like, who knows exactly what it was like? I can't find pictures of angels online, right? Don't know exactly what it was like. Was it two angels? Was it one angel? But like, I mean, it was sort of bright. It could have been one or two. Like, can you even imagine, right? And, and, they, and they react with, well, fear. Like, they, they were afraid. The women were afraid of these angels. They, they, uh, uh, they had, you know, these bright appearance, majestic form. And it was a fairly common way, if you will, uh, as we read through the Bible, to react when men or women encounter angels. You think about Zacharias or the Virgin Mary and others. They all, what do they do? They bow their faces to the ground, to the earth. They're in, they're in great fear and reverence of the heavenly spirits that, that they're looking at. They're, they're basically starstruck, right? Like, man. You know, there, there's angels here, and, um, you know, and, and, they, and they react accordingly. Okay? So that's Luke 24, 4 to 5. Moving on. So in Luke, uh, in, in verses 6 through 7, the angels say, what do they say? They say, remember he told you? Like, don't forget, remember he told you? There's some, there's some other passages that, that talk about this. Um, 
which, which is great. The angels react like, remember? Like, of course, don't forget. This is what he said. So Matthew 16, 21 says, uh, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Matthew 17, 22 and 23 says, as they were gathering Galilee, Jesus said to them, the son of man is about to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. Okay? So, so that's, those are just some passages where, uh, that Jesus clearly told them, hey, this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. And the angels, what do they do? They simply remind them what Jesus has already said. And so now in verse 8, what did these women do? What happens? It says, they remembered his words. Maybe they forgot them. Maybe they never truly understood them until right now. And having their memories refreshed by the angels and their understanding opened by the Spirit of God. Man, don't we need this? Like, don't we need to be remembered, to be reminded? Like, I just, uh, I just quoted two, two verses, but, but as I was looking through, I was, uh, you know, as I was studying for, for, this, for this sermon, there's so many verses on this. I just, I just picked two. There's so many uh, where, uh, where Jesus and others are, are, are saying, hey, this is what's going to happen. Uh, and the reminder, so, so the women and others being there during this time, they still needed to be reminded. Isn't that true for us also? Don't we need to, to be reminded what Jesus said over and over and over again? We need that reminder. Um, you know, earlier Dave just mentioned, you know, we were coming out of a, a series, a four-week series on the Bible. That's how we remember. That's how we, we, we remember the words of Jesus. We keep reading. We keep praying. We keep meeting with believers, uh, whether virtually or in a safe way in a pandemic world, right? But, um, you know, but we keep meeting with each other, and we need each other to be reminded. Okay, back to our passage. So verses 9 through 12. So the women, um, the women uh, went and they told the, the apostles. But the apostles did not believe at first. Okay? So, so what happened? So Peter runs to check this out as did John. We know that both Peter and John ran to check this out um, and to look for themselves. By the way... You know, there, are, there are theories about the apostles stealing the body and uh, somehow, I, I, like, I really find it telling that when they're told that, that, that Jesus was, is no longer there, that he, he, he rose from the dead, they're like, no, no, I don't, don't believe it. Like, I'm going to run and see for myself, right? And, and what did they find? What is Peter, what did, what did they find? They jump, they look in the tomb and they find it empty and they find uh, Jesus' grave clothes there as well. All just really, really important tidbits to remember as we go along. So that's the, that's the passage. But I just want to give you a small preview for future weeks. Um, because what's gonna, what you're going to see in future verses is that Jesus didn't rise in the same way that, uh, that Lazarus rose from the dead. Right? This, is, uh, this is different because if Jesus rose... In the same way that Lazarus rose from the dead, meaning the same body, he just, you know, he just became sort of the same person that was dead for a few days and comes back. Lazarus himself 
you know, he died of old, I'm not sure what he died of, but it would be sort of old age or, or something else, but he eventually does die. Jesus does not eventually die again. So this is a new body. This is a body that is made perfect, that is no longer subject to weakness, aging, or death, and able to live eternally. Like I said, future passages are going to lend real well to this topic, but I thought you know, it would be good to just complete that, that, that picture um, because that's really powerful and it, it has giant implications uh, about this whole, this whole event. Okay, so that's Luke 24, 1 through 12 with a small deep dive on some of the verses. I want to spend time though next on, uh, there we go, on the evidence, okay, on what is the evidence for what just happened, for what we just read about. And, uh, and to help me, I'm not going to quote all the, all the different places that, that, that I, I got this information from, um, but I do want to just, just put these up. I use these uh, tremendously. They're, they're a big help to me. Um, uh, of course, they, they can be just a starting point, but, uh, you know, Sean and Josh McDowell and, uh, you know, already defense or evidence that demands a verdict, uh, Wayne Grudem's systematic theology, like these are places that I go to quite a bit, uh, and they, these resources themselves accumulate resources from all other places. Um, this is just, again, just a helper. I just want to point you there. Feel free to, feel, feel free to use those. So I'm going to pick some proofs, some, uh, some evidences to, to walk through, and these are some of my favorites, uh, and, they're, and they're, certainly, they're certainly more. Okay, so here's the, the first one, and here is, okay, there it is. So the first one is that there are some discrepancies between the historic accounts. You say, whoa, 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 what, did I, did I hear you right? Like, one person says one angel, another person says two angels, two angels, and you know, there, there's little tiny things that are different. You're telling me that that is a potential proof? yes. Yes, so the historic accounts, they differ slightly, and, and you do see small differences. However, okay, according to historians or even detectives, these people will note that when witnesses are real, their accounts differ a bit on what they see at the crime scene. So small discrepancies don't need to line up perfectly. We expect those from witness testimony. Right? Otherwise, they would be copying the same thing, right? But, but we expect small discrepancies. So as long as the overall story holds together, it is very likely that, that event is true, that, that they're talking about the same thing, just seen from different angles, okay? Now, I remember this clearly, even though it was a long time ago, when I was in college, my history professor actually noted the same thing. He said, look, small discrepancies, and he even like, he used this thing, like instead of like when those happen, that's like for historians, like that's a really good thing. We look for that, and that points to, to the event that is, actually, that is actually true. So the discrepancies lend more credibility to the overall story. Again, as long as like, you know, they're, they're minor and they're not on the, you know, on the, on the overall major, major theme of the story. So like in, in my example of um, you know, when Lauren was, was born, you know, I, don't remember, I don't remember how long Jamie was, was, uh, was in labor. Was it 12 hours, 15, 20? I actually really don't. But, but I remember a lot of the other details and then the end result, the main point. Right? So it's, it's kind of like that. All right, so that's one. Uh, another one is the early church fathers, they all have this testimony 
after the fact. And, and they, they give testimony close enough to where people could have easily contradicted them. And they could have easily said, oh, it didn't happen like that. Like, I, was, I was there. That was like 40 years ago, 60 years ago. Or like my grandpa was there. Like, I know. Like, that's, that's not what happened. So we have accounts that are, that are really close to when it happened. So Clement is one such example. Uh, or Polycarp, um, where, where uh, Polycarp, uh, roughly in AD 110 to 140, so, so fairly early, uh, even he's encouraging believers who face opposition and persecution to link their faithfulness to their confidence in Jesus Christ and his resurrection. So, so remember, like Christians were persecuted at that time, and they're pointing themselves to like, no, remember what happened to Jesus. Remember the resurrection. Right? And so, um, so that, that's evidence as well, is that we have this other testimony also. Okay, so those two. So historic account discrepancies, early church fathers. I want to dig a little more into the, the next one, which is the, the stone in front of the tomb and the guard that was, that was placed there, okay? Uh, they, get, they get better and better. <laughs> and so so, so here, here's here, this one. So uh, since there are references to that, that stone being rolled away, okay, it's very possible the stone covering the tomb was in fact round. We don't know for sure, but really possible that it was round. It's also really likely that it would have been sort of rolled down into, into this, you know, through a slanted grove into place. So, so it could be moved in front with little effort, but it would be really hard to, to move that thing out of the way. Um, and you actually see this, uh, the fact that it was a large stone, because the women were wondering, as they're walking through, they're, they're wondering, you know, how are we gonna, how are we gonna move this thing, right? Like, this, you know, this is pretty big. Um, so, stone, likely super large, heavy, hard to move. Number two, there is, we see in Matthew that, that the, the tomb was made secure by sealing, by sealing it. The purpose of that seal like any seal, really, is to prevent tampering, but not to make it super hard to tamper with, but just that it was obvious that somebody, somebody tampered it with, right? So you have this extra precaution that there's a seal there to know that this wasn't tampered with. And moreover, we're told uh, in Matthew 27, we're told that there's a guard put in place outside of the tomb. So they go, they seal it, right, to make sure that, like, Jesus is in there already. You now seal it. Right? Large stone, Jesus is in, seal the tomb, set a guard in place. Um, and, and Pilate even says, says to them, you have a guard of soldiers, go make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Right? So it's like letters in the envelope, envelopes closed, seal, people are, are watching over it. Right? So tomb, Jesus is in the tomb, rock is rolled over it, sealed, guard. So let's bring all of this together, right? You have all the security, extra security in place. It makes it extremely unlikely. I mean, it makes it impossible, right, that somebody would be able to somehow sneak in. You know, some people might say, well, what if the guard was sleeping? Okay, these are professionals. Even if they somehow fell asleep on the job, you're not going to, you know, quietly move away, you know, a one-ton piece of rock, Right, like you're gonna wake these guys up, right? And and they're they're if they're sleeping, but again, <laughs> they're not. Uh, and so so all these things are happening. There's a seal there, and then at the end of it, like stone is moved moved away. Jesus is, isn't there anymore. So one of the 
uh, you know, as, as hard as it might be to hear, one of the best explanations is that, in fact, Jesus rose from the dead, right? So I love that. I love that together. One of my favorite things to talk about, but perhaps my favorite, 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 uh, as, I, as I looked into this, is the disciples. What happened to these guys before and after? Okay, here we go. So the disciples themselves were scattered. When Jesus died, they were scattered. They weren't working together. We know that in the night of his death, all the disciples left him and fled. Okay, they weren't somehow banding together, figuring out what to do. They were afraid. They fled. They ran away. They lost their direction and their future. We see them, you know, in other places, we see them that huddled away in fear and uh, often paralyzed by fear. But eventually, eventually what happens is every single one of them, every one of them lives out their faith. Eleven of them die for it. And the twelve lives, lives to die in old age, but fully, fully committed to Jesus. So, so I want to, instead of talking about all of their lives, I want to actually uh, zero in on Peter uh, and, and what happened to him. So, so here, here's a bit about, about what happened to, to Peter before and after. So we know that, Jesus, that, that Peter ran away and denied Christ three times before the rooster crows. Right? So, so we know that, that that's what happened before the death. Now, in John 20, Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. So this is when, when Peter is running to the tomb to see, uh, to see for himself. So Peter goes in and looks into the tomb he saw the linen cloth lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Okay, so, so, he, so Peter comes to the tomb. He sees the tomb empty. He sees Jesus' clothing, or, or, or rather burial clothing. We know also that later on, Jesus appears to Peter after his resurrection uh, in John 21, there's a, there's a large portion here. I'll just quote uh, a verse or two. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, this is after the resurrection, uh, Peter is with Jesus. And he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. And so the passage continues. But what I want you to see is that Peter sees the empty tomb. So sees Jesus dying, denies him. Uh, during that, sees the empty tomb, has an encounter with Jesus, with the resurrected Jesus. And what happens? He lives from then on. He lives a life that is fully for Jesus. And I'm going to skip through his life and get to what happened at his death. Because that, I think, can be super, super powerful here as well. According to Eusebius, this is a historian, I believe. According to Eusebius, Peter's wife, so this is on the same day, Peter's wife was martyred the same day that Peter was famously crucified upside down. In fact, Peter's wife was executed first. Here's an account of that day. They say accordingly that when the blessed Peter saw his own wife led out to die, he rejoiced because of her summons and her return home 
and called to her very encouragingly and comfortingly, addressing her by name and saying, O thou, remember the Lord. This is the same Peter that denies Christ with a life proven to him beyond the shadow of a doubt of a, of a resurrected Christ. Imagine, like imagine just for a second, like please, like imagine having your most loved one in this situation, but knowing without the shadow of a doubt that what comes next is infinitely better. Peter saw it firsthand and he acts accordingly. In the same way that if you were to ask me, Guria, are you a father? Your life depends on it. Be like, yeah, of course. Only the stakes are so, like, they're so much higher and they're real here, right? Like where Peter sees it and like that's how he acts. People don't, like they just don't do this kind of thing unless, it is, it is, or unless what they're looking at and what they're thinking of is true and they're convinced beyond the shadow of a doubt. And then what happens? Peter himself was crucified, famously upside down, uh, as he did, he, he just didn't want to, uh, he didn't count himself worthy to be crucified in the same way that his Lord and Savior was crucified. So yeah, so I, I just, I think that that's so powerful. And it's not just, to, not just for Peter, by the way. Church, this is for all the disciples, right? They are cowardly men, often cowardly men, and they turn into men of courage and conviction. If you look, if you read through the book of Acts, Acts 5 is a great place to go. They're arrested, they have courage, they preach, they're in prison, they're beaten, they speak boldly for Jesus. These are not the same men, okay? These are not the same men that we saw, that we, that we're seeing earlier. Their lives are changed forever by the evidence. So I'll say it again. All the apostles, they, like they died for their faith. Man, you really know what, what you're made of and what you believe and what you don't believe when your life depends on it. Every single person. And, and oh, and I said, like, uh, the apostle John, he died of an old age, but he wrote Revelation for us. Like, he, he absolutely lived a life fully for Christ, 100%. So um, that's incredible. I love that. Love that. Um, all right, let's, we're going we're gonna to run through a few, a few others, a few other pieces of evidence. So, so um, we talked about the historic discrepancies. Um, we talked about uh, the early church fathers, the stone, the, the disciples before and after, um, and the empty tomb and the women. I'm just going to touch on this. So, uh, so the tomb was empty said that. That's a, that's a bit of a fact. Uh, the women were first to see it and make a report. By the way, if you're trying to start a new religion back in those times, you would not do it based on the evidence of women. Women were, uh, unfortunately, they were, they were just not credible sources back, uh, back in first century Mediterranean culture, right? So, so you, you just wouldn't make this up. Like, hey, the women told us. You just wouldn't do that if you wanted to, to be credible, right? So that itself lends like, why would you do that unless it was actually true? Um, we have multiple New Testament sources. I've touched on a few of those. Um, common knowledge of the, of the empty tomb. So that's just how it was referred to. Like, that, that, that's the way. It was just in common knowledge back then the tomb was empty. Um, lack of tomb worship. This is another one that during those times... Uh, religious leaders' tombs were sites of religious worship, 
and, and great respect and reverence. No such thing with Jesus' tomb. Like, we just don't have that, that shown to us. Um, why? Because it made no sense. It made, it made no sense. Jesus wasn't there. Not only that, like, he was resurrected, right? So it was, it was just different. Like, he, he wasn't there. You just wouldn't go and do that. It makes no sense. Um, the, the grave clothes are, are another piece of evidence. Uh, his clothes were there. They were left behind. But the body wasn't, right? So the body couldn't have just been simply stolen, right? Like, if you were going to, again, if you're going to go and steal the, you know, move the rock, get it past the guard, steal the body, I don't know that you would take the time to sort of neatly pack the clothes on the side and, and leave. So, again, just, just other ways to look at this. Uh, and then finally, but we're not going to get uh, too ahead of ourselves, Jesus does appear to many, to many, many people uh, afterwards. Well, that's going to be covered in future weeks. So I end this part of it with, the, with the, this evidence part saying, I really, really encourage you to dig. This isn't a complete list. Uh, and it's the topic of much study. It's the topic of all Christianity. right? Like, but I would just encourage you to dig and not be afraid and think, okay, where am I having the, the hardest time? Where am I not having the hardest time? All right, so we're still, we still have to go through the, the importance of it and the implication. So the importance, this is next, all right? Here we go. Why is this important? Is it important? Yes, it's really important. Why is it important? All right, I'm going to read a passage, which is uh, awesome. 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 20 goes like this. If Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead... How can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Okay? And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then those who also have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, I put that in red for us, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Okay? So, this summarizes so much. Like, our faith, church, like, our faith would be futile. We would be still in our sins. Of all people, we're the most to be pitied. Everything hinges on this. But, verse 20, like, verse 20 and hopefully, you know, the first 30 minutes of what I've been talking about, like, we do have this hope. Um, but make no mistake, this is a cornerstone. So everything is based here. And this is like the center of our New Testament theology. I'm going to run through these and just touch on them. Again, I would just encourage you um, to look in, in your spare time and certainly uh, at, at NBC as we, as we preach God's word. These things come up often, but I just want to connect the dots for us. So, uh, so first of all, Salvation. So Romans 10, 9 to 10, all of this, what I'm going to run through is the list of things that are 
uh, that hinge on the resurrection, and their power hinges on the resurrection. So Romans 10, 9 to 10, salvation. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. All right, so believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. We ourselves were raised with Jesus uh, forever. Second, Second Corinthians 4, 14 says, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. Loved ones, we see loved ones that are now with Jesus. We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, not just died like that he died and he rose again even so through jesus god will bring with him those who have fallen asleep our regeneration this is from first peter i'll just read a piece of that verse jesus he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of jesus christ from the dead the power that is in us to be able to live new lives that is the same power that raised jesus from the dead if Jesus was not raised from the dead, that power does not exist in us. Justification. One verse, uh, one verse out of those, it says, Jesus who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. When God, when Jesus was raised from the dead, this is God declaring his approval of Christ's work of redemption. If Christ would have just died for our sins but not rose from the dead, we would have, have like, it wouldn't be good enough. Like, it wouldn't be good for all eternity. It's that power, it's that resurrection where God is declaring approval of what just happened that makes all the difference. And finally here, we'll receive perfect resurrection bodies as well. In 1 Corinthians 6, 14 says, God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Okay, so <laughs> the importance of it all, you have to realize, like I'm, I'm, sum, I'm summarizing, right? Like this is the, the subject of Christianity. This is the subject of New Testament. Um, I think these are really, really good starting points that I would, that I would just encourage you to, 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 to dig into. So now, the final part, if you will, right? So, so we looked at the, the event, we looked at some of the evidence, we looked at the importance, and now I want to hit on the implication. It's like, okay, Gria, like those are some pretty big things. What is the implication for our lives? So I love this from C.S. Lewis. Uh, you know, I gave in and admitted that God was God. <laughs> okay, so, so first of all, so when we say how do we live first of all you really have to find a way to make up your mind about jesus if you don't believe it's worth another look okay when you come up what you come up with for the resurrection can be the most powerful decision of your life and the resurrection squarely places jesus apart from anyone else in human history Even today, right, we saw Jesus saying some things that were proven in the resurrection. But you really have to make a choice. This is, um, this is not something that you can, that you can ignore, in, in my opinion. And so um, 
I, I love, I think I've, I may have quoted this in the past, but I love it so much. In Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis uh, puts, it, puts this all really, really, really well. And just getting to, to my point about having to make a choice. Here, here's what C.S. Lewis says. I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he's a poached egg, or else you'd be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. And here's here's C.S. Lewis's um, conclusion. Now, it seems to me obvious that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend. And consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he is God. He wasn't his God. So then to me, for me personally, the, the choice is obvious. So now, for those that have taken the step to believe that Jesus came, lived a perfect life, died for our sins, and so, so importantly, as we just talked about, was raised from the dead, what do we do? What do those that, that believe those things, what do we do? Here's a few things. Again, a summary. Please keep digging. Um, number one, abound in the work of the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your, neighbor, your labor is not in vain. Remember, we're also going to be raised from the dead because Christ was raised from the dead. So just continuing that Lord's work. That work lasts forever. Do everything for the glory of God. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10.31 Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. This is in everything. I'm not saying we should all become pastors uh, or, 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 I don't know, we have some, you know, some idea of what, what this work is. No, no, no. Like, Adam was a farmer, zoo, you know, zookeeper, etc. Uh, David was a king, right? David was a king. There were tent makers, there were mothers, fathers, fishermen, carpenters, engineers. There's like lots of flavors of engineer nowadays, right? Like, so much. But the key is like, whatever you do, do it, work for the Lord. Your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Seek the things that are above. Uh, in, in Colossians 3, 1 through 4, it says, okay, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are, on things that are above and on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears... Then you also will appear with him in glory. So things like, what's the meaning of life? Goal of life. What, you should, what should you be doing? Seek the things that are above. Have those things consume you. Don't get too hung up on the earthly. Of course, like I just said, be excellent in what you do. Do it all for the Lord. 
but, you know, but see what God would have you do on earth, but balance it, balance it with knowing that you're here to seek the things that are above. Maybe a little morbid, but I think this will, will help us too. Like, keep in mind, uh, this next point that I'm going to say, keep in mind, uh, what do all people have in common, uh, except for Jesus, that, that were born, let's say, more than 120 years ago? What does everybody have in common? Like, they're, they're dead, right? Like, they're no longer here on earth. They've all passed away from this life. It doesn't matter if you're rich, poor, the color of your skin, your profession, whatever it might be, whatever country you're born in. Like, that's just a fact. However, if you have the hope of the resurrection, if you work that out for yourself and figure out whether that's true or not, and if you live, live a life for God that is pleasing to him, do not yield to sin remember Jesus in all that you do, you too, because of the power of the resurrection, because of God's grace, you too will be raised together with Jesus and other countless saints through the ages. So that is the thing that you're going to have in common, living with Christ eternally because of the power of the resurrection. And one last one, what are you supposed to do, man? Bear fruit. John 15, 8, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. It can manifest itself different in different activities for everyone, but bear fruit. So that is the implication. So much more to be said, but that, that, that's a really good place to pause there. And so here we are. Jesus has been raised from the dead. Like me, when I became a father, right, your life simply cannot and will not ever be the same. In the fatherhood example, it would be detrimental and irresponsible for me, Gria, to pretend like I was not a father. For me to not care for my children and raise them and to adjust to this new reality would be unthinkable. In the same way then, as real as my daughter and all my children being born... Jesus has been resurrected. It would be detrimental and irresponsible for me to pretend like it didn't happen and therefore not change my life accordingly. I, re- I hope the same for you. Let me pray. And uh, I, I want to actually end with a doxology, which is a, 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 praise, a praise to God. So, so let's... Let's pray, and we'll start in Jude, and it says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to God, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. Lord, we are, we are so thankful that your power was demonstrated, uh, your words were proven, um, and you showed us, Lord, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that our hope is not futile, our hope is not in vain. It is based on the, on the work that you have done, that you have completed for us, and we do, not need to, we do not need to strive. You have done it, and so we thank you for that, and we thank you for the resurrection, and we thank you for Jesus. And so, Lord, uh, may we live lives that bring you glory and that are heavenly minded um, and certainly uh, 
living proofs of the impact of the resurrection in our lives. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.